Hold on. Hold on. Bear with me. Bear with me. Bear with me. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Bear with me. Bear with me. We're going to get psyched up. I like how our pump up was all we just look like a bunch of birds like bobbing. <laughs> that's it. That's the only. That's how white guys be at the rap concert. That's the only dance we have is just head bob. It's the only First, safe one. Hello and welcome to Rival Talk. We are back. Sports are back. So you know what? Let's start talking. Uh, I'm your host Bobby Howard. With me today, as always, uh, my friend, my colleague, my co-host Chris Eilenstein. What's up? Chris, uh, it's good to be back. I know you've been missing the rival talk. Mm-hmm. So back in the saddle. We're back in the saddle. Uh, and with us, on also on the saddle, or in the saddle, our first guest. And they, I don't know, that, that came out weird. Uh, but anyways, welcome on, Andrew Wilson. First time to the pod. Uh, so Wilson, welcome, welcome on the pod. Yeah, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> so excited to be here and talk about some... Some of the uh, rumblings that have been going on. Slow rumblings, but rumblings in, in the sports world. The, the rumblings, yeah, the rumblings have never been louder. Uh, let's start. <laughs> He's just spinning in his chair. <laughs> just, or, well, <laughs> well, let's just start right off from the top here. So, sports are like, there's kind of a plan for several leagues to come back. Mainly the NBA just announced today, uh, this is June 4th. They announced that um, they have a they have a plan in place, voted by the uh, board of governors, um, and we'll start seeing basketball on July thirty first. It's the first league that has a plan. Um, so, y'all, how how excited are you? At least that one sports league is on its way back. I think more than anything, I'm excited about the prospect of the NBA being back at Disneyland or Disney World. I think that's going to be electric. They should have some kind of cool background, and we won't be. They should play outside. That'd be cool. Just like palm trees outside, and like Star Wars, like stormtroopers along the side of the court. Yeah, I'll I'll confess that I'm not the biggest NBA fan, and I don't follow it super closely. But um, I know that John Morant has just been electric for the Memphis Grizzlies, just down the road from my hometown, Nashville. So I won't say that I'm a Grizzlies fan because I, I won't claim that so late in the season but you know if they make a run I'll definitely hop on the bandwagon and I'll I'll put it on the record that you know I'll be a bandwagon fan for the Grizzlies if they make a run if, if they do well I'll be cheering for them all the way but I'm you know I'm not going to be bragging about it on social media necessarily either but um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's exciting sure. I think the, the Lakers returning to the playoffs for the first time in a long time um, should be exciting um, and I think the Brooklyn Nets will be very interesting because their playoff odds have changed significantly since now they think uh, Kevin Durant is going to be healthy for the playoffs um, since it's so late in the year. Yeah, definitely. And it's 
I, I, I'm excited about the Disney prospect as well. Um, just having all of those teams together in one spot and you know, just wall-to-wall basketball when you start it off. Um, their plan is actually to just play all day, you know, March Madness style. Um, teams only get one day off. It's just constant basketball, and I'm all about that. Uh, I know this group is more of a y'all. Y'all's we're we're all football guys for sure, but the secondary for y'all was more hockey. Yeah, I do. I I mean, I do enjoy I'll, like basketball. I won't really watch regular season unless maybe it's like Christmas Day, which the NFL now cucked that too, but. Uh, but NBA playoffs, I will definitely watch just because it's the one time of the year where the sport shows a lot more urgency, and I think things start to pick up. And there's, it's kind of like when you watch March Madness. There's those last second shots and things that happen, stuff that's a lot more exciting than, you know, when they have their load management days and all that stuff. Um, Bobby, this was a question for you because I didn't really read into this much, but when they did, they're bringing thirteen Western Conference teams and nine. Is that just and nine Eastern? Is that just to clarify the seeding because the Western Conference for that eighth seed is that close? Yes, it's okay. a, it, it's it's a competitive balance sort of thing because there are teams in the West who can't make it. Now, granted, uh, it, it would be silly not to point out that one of the reasons they're doing this is because. You know Zion Williams. You under the twenty-two teams, you can get Zion Williams Williamson in that bubble, and have him. You know, people tune in to watch Zion. So the the pessim not pessimist, but the uh, cynic in me uh, definitely thinks uh, money was a factor. But for the most part, it's just so you can kind of have that race for that final seed be a little bit more fair give chances mm-hmm. to guys like zion or damian lillard with the um uh, trailblazers and they decided yeah. that oh go ahead oh i was just gonna say i saw it something like um eight regular season type like games round robin kind of deal and then if there's some interesting like point that they made where if the eight seed and the nine seed are something like less than four games apart that the nine seed can become the eight seed in the playoffs by beating that other team twice. Yeah. But the eight seed or the one sitting in the eight seed spot only has to beat the nine seed team one of those times. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. Oh, yeah. No, it would trigger this weird play-in kind of mini playoff for the final seed, um, which would be cool, but might not even happen. So... We'll see how that works out. I mean, I'm really excited to see it. Um, and did they did they finalize that it's going to be July 31st? I believe. Uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much been all but finalized. Uh, you know, barring any uh, unforeseen disagreement with the players uh, who still have to vote on this tomorrow, it should be fine. Um, so I thought wasn't the vote supposed to be today? Yeah, the uh, the owners voted today. Now it goes to the players who have to vote on it. They're going to pass it from everything I've heard. Um, the NBA P- NBPA president, Chris Paul, has a really good working relationship with Adam Silver. So any proposal made, I think, would be pretty much confirmed. So it, it, no one really has any, any worry about this not passing. But um, July 31st looks like the time. It'll run from July 31st to... Uh, game seven of the NBA Finals would technically be October twelfth, uh, and then proposed start. Which this is something that could change, but the proposed start date for the NBA uh, season for next year is November first. 
So they would only have half a month. I see them pushing that back. I mean, you can honestly probably push it till like Christmas Day, and I think you'd be okay. Well, it's like I think training camp starts November first. Mm, okay. And then you start the actual games of December first. So we're looking at potentially 14 straight months of NBA basketball, which I'm personally okay with. This break has actually been longer than any off season uh, we've had in the past three years. So I'm I'm ready for just a, a shit ton of basketball in a row. Mix that with my college football. I'm all in. Let's go. There's going to be that one day in September. I think I saw this where it's like, could be Masters, could be playoff basketball. There could be college football on. There might be hockey playoffs. It's just going to be complete overload of sports. Kentucky Derby is. Yeah. That'll be great. I mean, it's it's we're we're shaping up for to have one of the greatest falls in sports history. And I'm so excited for that. So yeah, we yeah, hope. Where's some wood? Yeah, Fingers crossed. Now let's also talk about uh, because y'all are more hockey guys for your. Secondary, NHL making some moves. Uh, I saw they narrowed down the, I believe the term, they, they narrowed down a couple spots of where they want to play. Uh, Dallas is one of them. Um, I didn't uh, see the full. Do list. they still have? How much did they narrow it down to? Last time I heard it was still like ten cities. I think it's still at ten cities. I think it's like Edmonton, yeah, like Chicago, Dallas, like Boston, yeah. or like it's they, all over the place. There's three cities in Canada and then seven in the U.S. And two of them will be picked to be hub hub cities, one for the Eastern Conference and one for the Western Conference. But as far as I know, the owners haven't gotten to vote on this yet, and neither have the players. So it's still kind of like up there. Like they've announced like that's what they want to do, but they haven't set any deadlines or dates for like when they actually want to put this into place. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and some good news. I know, Bobby, I was talking to you right before we started. They actually, the NHL teams were just cleared to reopen their facilities on Monday. So as part of phase two of their return to play plan. So that's good. At least I think in some capacity, you might get some people skating, get some more people back in the office prepping for that sort of summer playoff start. So Yeah, which is important. Um, I, I, I will say, even though it's definitely behind the NBA, uh I think it's promising, and it's definitely a lot better than, than the MLB, which has been an absolute <laughs> dumpster fire of a process. Nobody can agree on anything. The owners are trying to get a better, a, 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 like a better cut here. I, I mean, you, you gotta you gotta say the MLB. I it, it's really hard to look at them and feel promising about anything about it. Yeah, if sport. you if you want to kill professional baseball in America, this is this is a great way to do it, um, especially like. I mean, there's always going to be hardcore baseball fans, but when you make that the this kind of situation makes the owners look so bad, and you're driving away casual fans, and especially it makes you want you know if they were going to have a season at all, they were already looking at the prospect of like well if all these other sports leagues are going to be restarting, they're kind of going to be eating into our season, and already I mean baseball's been getting eaten away at like a dead carcass by all these other sports leagues it's it's not a good look no i I mean it it, it's everything about the sport of baseball already kind of drives away casual fans so they just can't get out of their own way even honestly it's I, i will also say that i think baseball is a unique sport where the experience of being at a baseball game is so much better than watching it on tv that it's kind of 
I don't I don't know losing the fan aspect. I think That's what the Mariners just... always bank on, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, if you go to the game, you'll get really good food and views, but shitty baseball. That's what you get. So it's yeah. not even worth it watching on TV. Oh man, SB Nation did a really good documentary series about. Uh, basically the history of the Seattle Mariners and how it's they're just tragically you know I don't know they're Atlas. partially owned by like PlayStation or something it's ridiculous yeah Nintendo it's crazy yeah Nintendo whatever yeah not um, but it's it's weird they're in such a bad spot because um, this was like their opportunity because it's always like summer is their time especially right after June when things end we're all expecting okay we're getting this summer of baseball until august when football starts up again late august and they're not taking advantage of their time they can't agree on anything the owners are kind of like stepping in their own way trying to renegotiate these salary talks that they've already gone through these prorated talks right and the owners just trying to keep like grab and grab more money which is just a losing cause because this is the strongest player union out of any of them so i i don't know they're going to have to come – they're at an impasse right now between owners and a really strong player union. So they, they need to get it together. They just shot down that 114-game thing, and then they said that they didn't have any plans of renegotiating, which just a horrible business move. I, I mean, that's the – you don't have time. You can't – you don't have time to stall talks like that. You have to go. Wasn't it like they were already planning on – they already had some kind of good plan that they were talking where it was like, okay, we'll play a half season and we pay half money. And then they were trying to say like, no, now we're only going to pay you half of the half. We're going to pay you a quarter, but you still have to play half the games. And it was like, yeah, you can't, you can't renegotiate. Yeah. Yeah. The way I understand the salary is they wanted it to be a sliding scale. So the players that got paid the most would have the biggest percentage cut from their salary. So someone like, um, Mike Trout, who's getting paid, you know, probably the highest paid player on his team, was probably only going to make somewhere like between 20 and 40 percent of his salary, um, which is already, you know, something massive, but um, compare that to the league minimum. So I think the guys on the league minimum were still going to take like a half pay cut. Um, but league minimum right now is something like $565,000 or something. So half of that's still not bad per se but um i think it was definitely yeah definitely like what you were talking about chris the power players in the players union they have so much more influence than any other professional players you know union does and uh, you have to be willing to make a deal that appeases them or you're not going to get anything done and i think baseball's struggles the sport that struggles with that the most yeah definitely I gotta say, Kyler Murray made the right move uh, going with football. So, because uh, I, I, well, I, I, I think if you didn't, if you stayed with baseball, at this point you'd be pretty pissed off. That remains to be seen. I think the the ceiling is higher on what you can make in baseball, and that's one well, of those things you'll never know for sure until like we see how his football career pans out. The yeah. ceiling's higher, but I think the biggest selling point is not having to be in the minor leagues for like three or four years before you get your shot versus NFL if you're first round overall you're expected to play right away that's the difference you get to be a star quarterback right away and there's really no versus there's not as much guarantee on what your ceiling could be in baseball and you're stuck down in the minors being a nobody making 
fifty thousand or whatever for four years before you get your shot. Yeah, so. just riding the bus like that does that's not as fun, you know. Especially if if you're making if you're you know offensive rookie of the the year like caliber uh, of a player, you know that's it's the move. He made the right move, um, but yeah, we got kind of sidetracked there. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, any other thoughts on other sports returning? Um, we we know. We've seen a little bit of a preview with the Bundesliga and uh, you know some of those European soccer leagues kind of coming back. What are your thir- uh, first thoughts, kind of on sports post uh, Corona? I mean, I'd say so far so good. I mean, Bundesliga has been open for about two weeks now, and there hasn't been any, to my knowledge, any major news stories about outbreaks among the players who are you know or the staff members for that matter, or the coaches or anything like that. Um, so it sounds like they're doing a good job of taking all the necessary precautions from, you know, letting the the virus affect the game and um, letting the players get back to what they love. I mean, it's still a little bit awkward um, having an empty stadium. Um, and there's been some interesting adaptations to that for the teams. Like I noticed Borussia Dortmund, they've always applauded the yellow wall at their stadium and, for the fans and they went over and they still applauded the yellow wall, even though there's nobody in the stands, but <laughs> that's my team. I'm, I'm, I'm a big RB Leipzig guy. So shout out to any soccer team owned by Red Bull, I guess. Yeah. You know, the RB doesn't stand for Red Bull. It doesn't. They have a Red Bull right there. It, make, it would make sense. What so I did, I did a presentation on this back in college so shout out to dr pitcock for his sports and society class in fall 2017 but um yeah so legally they weren't allowed to name the team red bull leipzig so it's rb leipzig and the rb stands for rasen ball sport which means <laughs> which means lawn ball sports <laughs> okay that's incredible <laughs> Okay, well, there you go. Y'all this is something. why we had Wilson on, to learn some things today. Oh, only Wilson can provide this type of knowledge, and I'm, I'm pumped about that. I'll so, say, I did like the, um, like I noted here, the cardboard fans were really creepy. Like the like the 13,000 cardboard cutouts or whatever, that was a little scary. But the, yeah, I enjoyed... Was like Borussia Mönchengladbach or something did that, I think. Something like that. I don't know. But I did enjoy it. The Zoom one was much more creative and kind of cool, I think, actually, like, piping people in. Um, and then I don't know if you guys saw any news, but hopefully, I mean, maybe they'll just start doing, you know, by percentage of capacity, probably start filtering some people in. Uh, I know some of the big talks with all the stadiums was starting to allow people back in. It's like... How do you manage, you know, lines at the concessions? What do we do? You can't take away people's basic right to, like, use a bathroom, right? Like, bodily function. You have to provide a bathroom. So, I think concessions are going to be interesting and also, like, managing how people flow in and out of the stadium. Because, you know, like, end of the game, everyone just floods out. So, they're going to be – that's going to be something. But hopefully, a soccer will take the first initiative on maybe, like, a quarter capacity or however they want to do it with the German League. Yeah, that that is a good point because you think it would like initially you're like oh just have everyone sit far apart but you know when you think about that crowd management there's not really a good way to do it I, I mean you can't just be like you can't just like call two people at a time like it's you know like the arc or something and the the weird the weird thing I think people skipped over when they were talking about concessions they're like 
oh, they're going to have to do, like, contactless pickup or deliver them to seats. And I was like, that's such a huge operation for, like, a stadium. And you already think about concessions are already so bogged down and slow. Having to, like, go through those, like, to-go orders or deliver to a seat, it just, that seems like it's going to be too much of a hassle to manage, personally. Yeah, I don't see any difference between a concession worker handing out food and beverage at the concession stand versus, you know, a fast food worker, you know, wear mm-hmm. gloves, you know, either, you know, ch- either change gloves or do sanitation between uh, customers coming through the line, uh, limit what options that you offer based on, you know, things that can be kind of served to a customer sealed versus something that's not able to be, I don't know, but. For sure. And it, you know, talks about how we get to, you know, fans in the stands. That that feels like it's so far away, but hopefully it's not as far away as we as uh, as we think. So, yeah, let's let's talk about something a little different, um, and a little bit trickier. So, college football is trying to make a return as usual. Uh, a couple schools in the SEC uh, have opened up their campuses again. Uh, the Big 12, I believe, opens up in about 10 days or so. so June 15th? June 15th is uh, the, is when uh, Big 12 schools are allowed yep. to do it. I know right. OU, OU is waiting till like, July 1st, so they're being super kind of patient with it. Um, and it seems like college football will be a little bit more of an issue due to the college aspect of it. You need, you need the kids on campus, and, you know, obviously the – elephant in the room is they're not being paid for this in the first place so how do y'all see how do y'all see college football coming back how do you see the process working uh wilson i'll start with you yeah so um i mean obviously it starts with you know getting the players back for voluntary workouts um i read an article on the athletic today talking about the anonymously polled um college football players across the country and all of them are I shouldn't say all of them. The vast majority felt that there wasn't a significant risk in going back to campus and starting football again. Uh, Most of them felt comfortable with going back to campus, whether or not their other fellow students would be on the campus or not. Um, Because I think most of them, you know, we talk a lot about um, student athletes and what that means and the lack of pay for players. But ultimately, you know, many of them, still love the game and still recognize the value in playing even if you know other students aren't going to be on their campus but i think many of them expressed you know it'd be really disappointing if we can't have any fans in the stadium at all um i saw that texas said i think it was either today or yesterday the state um announced that they would allow i think 50 percent capacity this fall or for pro sports for pro sports is that for pro sports only I mean, college yeah. football is basically pro in Texas, but I guess not legally. Well, well, I, it was pro and college. I believe I oh, saw was it. it and, yeah, I saw it. Okay. They also had and college. Yeah, the only um, the only tricky thing is like you're always going to get the people, no matter you know how badly your football players want to come back. You're going to get those people that they're the the cousin to the people should get or college athletes should get paid crowd. They're going to talk about like. You know, you can't. It's very different risking um, someone who's not getting paid, like risking their safety versus risking a pro player's safety because they're getting paid millions of dollars anyway. Um, so that's going to be something they're going to have to navigate through. That's just like a social dynamic of it. Um, 
But I think as long as, like, if you guys saw Ohio State's had a pretty clear plan that they would, if they were going to aggressively social distance, they could have 20,000 people in their stadium, which fits over 100,000, so it's at a fifth capacity. And if they felt that things were moving in the right direction, they could get a little more aggressive and still have 40 to 50, almost quite, not quite half capacity, and still feel pretty comfortable about everyone's safety. So, you know. Yeah, you could distance people out in Ohio Stadium with 20,000. That's not a lot at all. No. Um, not a lot. That is a big stadium right there, I tell you. Um, but I wonder how this affects, now that I'm thinking about it, how that will affect smaller colleges who are already in the smaller stadium category. Like, top of my head, like Washington State only has, their stadium only fits like 37,000 people. So, I mean, if you're at a fifth capacity, what are you going to do? Have, like, a little over 6,000 people in your stadium? Like, it's just going to be tiny. Well, I, I, it probably won't be a one-size-fits-all situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they can figure it out, um, you know, based on a, you know, a, a per-situation basis. Those are already teams that are not as high revenue generating, so that could be they, an interesting discussion. They, they've been practicing social distancing before it was a thing, so... <laughs> uh, Hey, I'm just saying. Yo, do, win something since 2002. Vanderbilt fans Three. the pain. <laughs> well, uh, well, at least Vanderbilt's... Well, Bobby, you know, don't injure our running back and we'll win the Rose Bowl. Uh, well, yeah, it was a... It was a, it was a pretty, hey, they beat... Okay, Washington State beat Texas in that Holiday Bowl. That was a pretty big deal. 2004. That wasn't 2004. Texas was in the Rose Bowl. It, that was 2000... Okay, season before they were in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. 2003 season. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, we're not going to... Watch yourself. Washington State football. Watch yourself. The the kooks. Um, But anyway, yeah, I I don't know. It's interesting. And, you know, with with these players returning to campus, we're seeing, like... (laughs) Talking head Mike Leach there. Um, We're we're seeing a couple issues where players are coming back kind of, I wouldn't say large groups, but, you know, uh, at, o- at Oklahoma State, five um, five players were uh, tested and confirmed with corona. Uh, Alabama had five players uh, positive uh, for corona. So it's really interesting to see how they manage that going forward now that we have everyone together. You have confirmed camp- er, cases on campus in that group. In Alabama's case, they actually practiced uh, with everyone uh, even with the uh, confirmed cases, they didn't have the uh, results back. So I, I think this is where we'll really see if we can have it uh, just from a player standpoint, if it spreads at this point. Yeah, I think it's important just to have, make sure that you're having um, pretty rigorous mm-hmm. and regular testing of the players. And um, for those that do test positive, you know, isolate them as quickly as possible, have them kind of ride out the illness um and you know once they're once they come back negative um you know what we would do in healthcare would be you would you would wait for two negative tests to come back before you would let somebody um you know basically let them you know clear them to say they're ready to go um so that could be the standard and i think as long as we avoid like what you know a major outbreak if we're talking like 10 plus players on a team and you start seeing it kind of 
go through a team really quickly and like just kind of wash over it, kind of get spiral out of control. I think that's the point at which you need to have your your coaches and your athletic director say, okay, you know, let's shut things down, let's let everyone separate again, isolate, make sure we get this out of our system, and before we come back and try this again, because um, ultimately the players aren't at the most risk. They're, you know, healthy young men, ages eighteen to twenty four, twenty five at the oldest. Yeah. Um, and the it's the staff members and the coaches around them that are probably at the most risk. Um, you know, Nick Saban is, you know, I think he's 68, 69 years old this year. So, you know, he's, he's kind of in that age bracket that's in the most at-risk group. Yeah, that's a really good point. People kind of forget about the coaches. And I know in the NBA that has been a topic of discussion uh, is how are these older guys like Greg Popovich, uh, Mike D'Antoni, you know, if something happens, they're right there. You know, a lot of people have kind of hand-waved it as NBA athletes. You know, they're fine. But kind of forget about – you always forget about the coaches in that case. Um, so I, I think I think really just the key is tracking everything and, you know, pulling that, you know, shut down lever as quick as you can. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. And, of course, it hasn't been said yet, but ultimately, like, consent of the players and the, the staff. Like, make sure everyone's on board, like – you need to give people the option, like not to participate if they don't want, if they don't feel comfortable participating. I think that's critical. Of course, yeah, and, and that's a, I mean, that's a good distinction that um, I think the, the June fifteenth date that Bobby mentioned earlier about the Big Twelve, like that is strictly voluntary workouts, and I'm sure they're going to keep it very separated between people, try and keep it low capacity. So they're going to be hard to. Uh, I mean, there's already pretty strict rules on like um, mandatory team activities versus voluntary and like giving people time off and that's something they're going to have to look into especially if you know if a player doesn't feel safe like they're not getting outside of getting their benefits and things like that they're not getting paid so they shouldn't be in harm's way the same way a pro might and they don't have the same access to stuff that a pro might so just being clear about like keeping their safety keeping the coaches safe and just uh kind of that public perception too you don't want to be like you don't want outside influences seeing you like pressuring these pairs players to play and people are testing positive that will go downhill so fast so definitely yeah i want to zero in on bobby and i want to hear your take on this but i saw that oklahoma is not going to be starting their voluntary workouts on june 15th they're going to wait till july 1st do you know we more already about said that? that wilson of course yeah i kind of mentioned this at the top of this uh just kind of touched on it but um so ou is that they're having everyone go to campus, quarantining them for 14 days, you know, testing everyone. So they're starting out with the isolation. And then once you hit July 1st, then they start, um, you know, the practices, individual workouts. So you have a better idea of what you're dealing with when you start the physical contact. You can Isolation you can, of a playoff win, maybe. Okay. <laughs> okay. That was uncalled for. You get to the playoffs first. Either you have two teams. You have you you just get. I've said it all along. I said the, like the next two years, make it or break it. I will quit Texas fandom forever. If the next two years they do not make the playoffs. Oh well, I should just go, deal. I, let's let's do that. I mean, I'm just saying. You know, in two years this is going to be uh, the rival talk with the purple and red. You know, <laughs> instead of instead of orange. So, I'm glad you see you've seen the light, but. 
I don't know. I, I really think it, it says a lot about Lincoln Riley. Uh, I think he's a great leader. I think he does a really good job of, you know, really caring about his players. And Douche. <laughs> what the, that was Lincoln. Okay, your, t- your coach is Tom Herman, man. While he did have a really, really, really good response to everything that's been going on. Uh, Quarantine hit his hairline hard. Yeah. Tom it, Herman it, has a really bad track record of just not being a bad person. General I will, I will say, yeah. Right, it's just, what college coach isn't? The little Drew Locke dance. What a jerk. Um, <laughs> anyways, what if... Says C.D. Lamb and Baker fan over here. What did C.D. Lamb do? C.D. Lamb is the worst. What did he do? When he's just like, Oh! Oh! He, they look like Christmas bells! My, my horn's he, down! He did horns down like everyone else. And then there's Bobby, who doesn't even understand, like, what where down is. It's always somewhere over here. It's, I mean, what, do you want me to do a direct angle down? Got the, the little No, because your fingers look like a snail. That's just rude and not uncalled for. <laughs> next, um, next topic. I'm ready. Yeah, yeah we're, we're ready. Okay. We kind of forgot what podcast I was on for a second. Everything has been... We, had we lost 30, Wilson. <laughs> we had 30 minutes of being cordial, and then it goes off the rails and Wilson leaves. No, no, no. He's pulling a Thomas uh, from the Renegades. He's just cracking stuff open near the microphone. <laughs> oh man, Thomas. Okay, so let's actually have some fun now. We, we've talked about we, we we've been a little serious on rival talk here. Now let's get a little weird. Let's have some, almost. Uh, first of all, Wilson, what did you just get there? It's a peanut butter stout. Yeah. So shout out to Tailgate Brewery uh, here in Nashville. No free ads. Stop shouting people. The out. peanut butter milk stout. Yeah. So if you're a one of great them, evening beer, there you go. Check it out. I am drinking water. Stein, what are you having? Uh, Blood and Honey, my second favorite beer of all time. Fantastic beer. Uh, so that was free ad corner. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about college football and basically if we were able to be, I don't know, the czar of the sport and shape it in whatever way we want. Let's talk about everyone's favorite topic first. Playoff expansion, should it happen? Um, I personally am a big fan of it. Uh, the real question is how many teams, what format, uh, and I will give I will give our distinguished guest uh, first crack at this one, Wilson. I mean, I feel like my most realistic expectation is that, you know, well, I'll talk about realistically, I think there should be expansion. It should be eight teams, and because you've got five power five conferences there should be an automatic bid for those five champions and then just three at large bids it doesn't seem that complicated to me i find it ridiculous in the first place that the powers that be decided that there wouldn't be enough controversy about a 14 playoff with five power conferences it's just kind of you know after how maddening the bcs was and how controversial that was they're like oh you know if we just add two more teams like that'll make people happy that'll make people happy but we see how that worked out. You know, there's still controversy about it. Well, I also think that they misunderstood what we hate about the B- hated about the BCS. It wasn't the computers. It wasn't the format. It was about the fact that there were only two teams. It's not nearly enough. So, replacing this really solid, you know, formula with a bunch of vague uh, criteria that you can change at any time with people where you, they just. I don't know, put like eight people together and just say, I don't yeah. know, decide it. That's not that's not good enough for us. I, yeah. I, I, I don't think that's a good system is just letting 
biases decide things. Just let let a big group of things, group of factors, put them all together. That's the best way to do it. So I, I definitely think you should change the formula if you're at least going to keep the four teams. But um, actually, weirdly enough, the BCS, um, there's a BCS simulator that they put out every year that combines all the factors. It actually would have zero deviation based on um, the committee's decisions versus the BCS formula. Like it would have been, the, it would be the exact same four teams every to every year. That's so, slightly comforting. I mean, it's more comforting than a secret cabal of people <clears throat> that get together and, like you said, they have vague criteria every year that seems to change. You know, depending on what they like the best and which twenty fourteen never free like. So yeah. I, I mean, I th- this is a particularly saucy topic because y'all both went to TCU during uh, during the uh, infamous 2014 season where the frogs were some would say screwed. Uh, so Stein, what what do, you, what do you have to say about that? What do you have to say about BC, like formula versus committee and how many teams you think should be in? The well, playoffs? my main my main thought is just that like. If you only have four, it creates this like this sense of urgency and expectation that I don't think is necessarily fair to college. It's like NFL, there's more leeway, you know, for teams to lose four or five games and be like a really really good team. And college, it's like you you can lose one and suddenly like your whole season's just a failure and you're like out of the playoff. And it just I've always thought it seems weird because like especially growing up with a team that wasn't very good. Obviously, like Wazoo's not very good usually, and like. For them to get an eight and four, like a nine and three season, is pretty good for them. Like that's, and for most teams, like I think a nine and three is like pretty decent. But for someone who's like an Ohio State fan, three losses is like a tragedy. <laughs> it's like someone killed their family member, and like I think a lot of that has come about with the playoff because like, I mean, some would say there's like there's more difference so that, like they shouldn't lose more than one. But I sometimes I just think it puts this pressure for college kids to almost have you know, a higher standard from game to game than other, like an NFL team, perhaps, in some way. The, the pressure point was a very good one, and one I hadn't really thought of a ton. But I, I think the drama that college football creates, where I think you would lose a little bit of that if you went away from four, um, because there, there almost isn't anything better than, you know, watching and hoping, like, oh, shoot, you know, we need Ohio State to lose to Purdue here or you know this could this could change our season it if you I'm just saying like the 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 great wins would kind of have a little little bit less to them and the great losses even though I hate losing like that Kansas State loss would have meant nothing if that's a good point I just think it's it's a weird world in which like an NFL team has like a, a window of four losses where they can just be like oh, you know, like, it's fine, especially with the buys and all that, where they can just be like, well, we clinched this. Like, where it's it's weird where, like, an NFL team would have more leeway to be underperforming than the college, you know, college kids would be. That's the, that's the only angle I'm taking on is, like, you know, there should be more variability because they're college kids, they're not pros. And I think just expanding to a six-team or an eight-team or something, like, not making it a crazy big field – but just making it a just tweaking it a little bit where you can add maybe we might see like a two loss team or something that you are convinced is really really good and has a shot they just totally just blew one and then maybe lost to a really good one loss team or an undefeated team something like that well 
and I, I'll, I, it's Wilson's turn to talk, but I, I will say this. I think it, while you would lose some of that national intensity, you, you'd actually care about the conference races a lot more if you, if you, um, you know, gave them an auto bid. Every October, as is tradition, we just stop caring about the Pac-12 because they all cannibalize themselves. But, you know, if, they, if a bid was at stake, I would actually care a lot more other than it's late at night and I'm bored and I want to watch some football. You know, so Stein, I thought that was a very reasonable, well-thought-out response. But then there's me who, you know, if I were the czar of college football, I'd probably just blow it all up. Um, so Stein's been waiting for me to talk about this one, I'm sure. Um, oh, God. Uh, He's pulling out the notebook now. Yeah, I have I have notes. So a few months ago, I worked on this just as a fun thought experiment because, you know, it drives me crazy how little regard college football has for, you know, regional geography and rivalries and conference realignment has taken away rivalries like Texas versus A&M, Mizzou versus Kansas, um, and just doesn't make much sense anymore, you know, that you've got teams like, I mean, Missouri is just not a Southeastern Conference team. Just culturally, it's not, you know, geographically, it's not. Um, and I have cousins that went to Mizzou. They're big Mizzou fans, but, you know, even they kind of, are, yeah, you know, we don't really belong here right it's just kind of awkward so i've mapped out two different possible scenarios if i were to be totally in charge of college football there's one in which i eliminate um the mac the Sun Belt, and the conference usa and there's one in which you know most of those teams are retained I, we drop a few like weird teams that probably don't have any business belonging in college football like i mean at the fbs level like utsa umass Akron, Kent State, Liberty. Yeah, you know, those those feel free to toss those out the window. And so, <laughs> are, you, uh, are you are you trying to toss out poor Hugh Freeze? Absolutely. Little, yes, I, I'm offended by that. I we need Liberty football in our lives. We we don't. Nobody needs Liberty football. <laughs> um, nobody needs Liberty University. Period. Nah, yeah, for real. Liberty University can fall in a hole, but also, go ahead, Wilson. I'm sorry, don't, don't mean to cut you off there. Yeah. So in this scenario, in this world, I envision like 13 conferences geographically aligned, 10 teams in each. You know, and so, for example, here's you know, Pac-10 would be Hawaii, UCLA, USC, San Diego State, Stanford, Cal, San Jose State, Oregon, Oregon State, and UW. Um, you've got an Appalachian Conference. I've got Marshall, West Virginia, Maryland, Kentucky, UVA, Virginia Tech, Tennessee, Appalachian State, Middle Tennessee State, and uh, James Madison. Um, so you organize all these, you know, schools regardless of the history, regardless of the blue blood. You try to do it geographically, but you, I mean, you try to do a little bit of balancing so that the the blue bloods are a little, you know, interspersed. Um, and ultimately, you get a, a 16-team playoff with 13 champions and three at-large bids. You'd have a, uh, a regular season where you have one non-conference game, nine regular season conference games, and then four weeks of playoffs. So that kind of eliminating that concern about, you know, people talk about, oh, if you expand the playoff, you know, it's too many weeks of football for the players. It's not fair to them. So this kind of throws that by the wayside. Uh, so the maximum would be 14 games, which is what we have now for a national champ. Um, you just you just pivot, uh, you know, some of those games into being playoff games, which 
would be more interesting. Yeah, nobody needs to watch, you know, TCU beat up on Southeast Louisiana State, you know, as the season opener every year. That's, you know, it's a yeah. half-full stadium at most for something like that. It's just uh, a waste of, of course, time. Of course, our favorite would be the Lone Star Conference in this scenario, which would be A&M, Texas, Baylor, TCU, SMU, North Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Tulsa, and Texas State. I'd pay to see that OU versus UNT or Tulsa game. <laughs> Hold on, y'all, yeah. y'all, left, y'all left Texas State in here? Yeah, there would be some lopsided fixtures for sure, but there already are with the North as Wilson just As Wilson just was talking about like teams that weren't necessary to college football or like games we didn't want to see, and then you see like OU versus Texas State. Well, I mean, it, it's an interesting OU thought experiment. You don't know if they're going to recruit better if you know all of a sudden they're all you're going to see is a hundred burger a playing field. I mean, maybe, but well, if I could see a hundred burger, I'd kind of appreciate that too. Okay, here's my here's my issue with this system. I, I think I think it's a good idea to have more representation, expand the playoff, but. The idea of OU going to San Marcos and all of these big A and M OU Texas like rolling into San Marcos is just—I <laughs> don't know if that makes a ton of uh, of sense. And from a business perspective and a football perspective, I mean, you would have to re- like Texas State wouldn't be able to play home games because the the teams coming there, other than North Texas and SMU. I mean, the crowds would be astronomical. You'd have to, you'd have to. And I don't think OU or Texas or anybody's really interested in like their image being associated with bussing down to San Marcos. <laughs> well, I mean, think of it this way: it's it's an easy win for them, and for Texas State, I mean, the TV money would be a lot better than what they're getting now. I'm sure they they don't have certainly TV the national money. coverage. Yeah, but Wilson, you just said you didn't like nobody was interested in seeing TCU play. Some crap team like this is no different. I'm talking about FCS teams. I mean, these are still FBS teams, Texas technically. <laughs> so, and you just talked about throwing some teams out of FBS. Sir, as someone who has physically seen an OU North Texas game, I would not want to see that in my in my conference. Okay. Bobby, <laughs> so, I think we, I could, think we can we, move on. We've tr- we've no, trashed this like, well, system. No. Unless you have something to add, I, I, I just think I think my thing was much more reasonable because those two. Or four outside teams are teams that are, depending on the rotation of the Bulls every year, you could have like two Rose Bowl teams that are now in the playoffs, like two teams that people are still interested in seeing can provide some sort of shot towards the title. That's what I think. Just expand it by like two to four teams, make well, it six to eight playoff. Well, yes, that is the more reasonable solution, but this is a scenario where you're the star of college football, and if you want to blow it up and do something wild, you know, go right ahead. And so you I'm took happy. Washington State took out of the Pac-12. How dare you? We've been in there since the beginning. This how is, dare you? This is about getting weird. So I'm uh, going to go – I'm actually going to go weirder with mine and take a oh different – I'm taking a different philosophy from, uh, our, from Wilson's here. Instead of making a bunch of small conferences, we make four – massive ones and what we do is you have you have four 32 team conferences but you regulate half of them so you have a kind of like a soccer like system where these smaller schools can, can they can crawl their way to glory they can find their way up so you know maybe a texas state doesn't belong in this southern conference well you know what if they put their you know they put their work to it they can win they can win their little minor conference and then play the worst team 
in the upper division, whoever wins scoots back up. The other team goes back down. Sure, if you have a really good year, you can't win a national championship. You can't get into the playoff. But there's actually a path to mobility. You, you aren't stuck like UCF who, you know, no matter how good they do, they will never win a national championship. You can fight your way up. Um, and in essence, the chi- the conference championship games then would become, uh, you know, playoff games of their own. So, for example, like the Big 12 could be um, – the North would be OU, Oklahoma State, Kansas, K-State. Basically bring back the Big 8 – and then have a Southwest Conference type of, you know, South. Um, so you you um, you have them play out like their round-robin schedule, and then they, you know, play in the tournament. You know, if you're eliminated early, you can schedule other people from, you know, the little, you know, bottom feeder leagues or whatever just to kind of, you know, fill out a schedule, get some dates going. But in general, um, I think this is a good way to get – you know, those teams who never will have a chance, you know, possibly into the top or upper tier. Yeah, I think it'd be a hard sell to get, like, look at Rutgers. I think it'd be a hard sell to get some a school like Rutgers on board with relegation and promotion only because they would certainly get relegated. <laughs> and they'd probably feel like they have enough clout to not be put in that position, but... That's True. that's always the the hard part about you know soccer versus abroad versus American sports is that promotion and relegation were built into the game before there was so much money in the game and they realized how valuable it was to be in that top league and so you know if you had if you didn't have promotion and relegation in Europe and then you came to them today and offered it to them they would laugh they would laugh you out the door like it just wouldn't happen nowadays but yeah, I love it that's... I love it as a concept. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I just I just want to see Kansas get relegated down. It'd be fun. Uh, um, my my other really fun scenario. I thought I think this one's probably more realistic. Is making a power eight out of the power five. Um, and what you would do in this scenario is we get rid of the MAC, we get rid of the Sun Belt, and we get rid of the Conference USA. They send them down to FCS, um, and you kind of move your American conference teams and your Mountain West Conference teams into conferences with your Power Five, because those are kind of like borderline, those are clearly the two strongest conferences among the group of five. Um, and so instead you get um, eight conferences of between eight and 12 teams apiece. You get a Texas Southwest style conference that doesn't have UNT or Texas State in it. <laughs> um, you get, um, a nice kind of Pacific. You get a Rocky Plain, Rocky Mountain, uh, Great Plains conference that kind of looks like the old Big Eight in a way, where it's it's uh, Minnesota, Iowa State, Iowa. Because I think Iowa State and Iowa should be in a conference together. It's kind of crazy that they've never been. Um, Nebraska, K State, Kansas, Mizzou, and Wisconsin. Um, the one thing that was really hard about this one for me was um, how do you all the teams in the Southeast that are so good? How do you split them up? And uh, how do you keep it fair for schools like Tulane and Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech that are more academically focused and not so much, you know, athletic focused while also making sure it's still like worth watching. Um, So I kind of made a Magnolia conference that's got Duke, North Carolina, NC State, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Georgia, uh, Miami, Georgia Tech, Wake, Ole Miss, uh, Tulane and Vanderbilt. 
So it's still got some competitive teams in there. It's um, like a Southern Ivy. Yeah, like a Southern Ivy League. That was a real concept that pro- was proposed like way back in the day, um, like at the beginning of the SEC. Um, and then you've got a true SEC that has Memphis thrown in there, along with you know the usual suspects, Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina. Florida State gets added to the SEC. I think they would fit in nicely there. Uh, hmm. UCF gets their chance at the big boys in this conference, um, Ooh, along with God. USF, to be cannon fodder for oh, UCF and everyone else. No. But, um, then you've got Clemson and Kentucky. So that's a really fun conference. Yeah. It, on those, paper. Those conferences do sound really fun. The problem is when you start going up into the Northeast and the West, you get a little get a little wonky. Yeah. So this one, I apologize if doing... you guys can hear the car alarm going off. I don't hear it, but okay. I, I, I hear it. I hear it. it. So, sorry, go ahead, Wilson. Um, you've got an ACC, so you've got an Atlantic Coast Conference back. So you've got East Carolina, Navy, Temple, Rutgers, Boston College, Army, Syracuse, Penn State, Pitt, Maryland, West Virginia, and UConn. And then you've kind of got like this Big Ten kind of going on with Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Cincinnati, Purdue. Notre Dame, Indiana, Louisville, Northwestern, and Illinois. I think Notre Dame would be a nice slide into the Big Ten. Yeah. I'm, I'm really sick of Notre Dame and BYU and these teams that just get decide, oh, just make our schedule however we want. Yeah, Notre Dame, my problem, my problem, like, to go off of your point, like, my problem with them not being at a conference is, like, we don't have a ton to always gauge them off every year, it seems like. And then you just look at you're like, oh, like looks pretty good. They look, you know, one loss to me looks good. Put them in the playoff. Like what was that two years ago? And then they got just trounced by Clemson, and everyone already kind of had the understanding that they weren't that good and weren't tested. And the committee is just like, oh, we have to let them in because you know their record looks good, I guess. But at least having an actual like tough conference for them to have to slog their way through like everybody else, I think would truly show whether Notre Dame is good one year or not. Well, the thing that really annoys me about Notre Dame is they play an ACC schedule, but they can't. They they aren't forced into a conference championship. So mm-hmm. that that Notre Dame Clemson thing should have been the ACC championship, um, and we would have just weeded them out. I'm so sick of the ACC right now. It's it so. is a garbage conference with Clemson just hanging out on top of it. They they coast through the season, maybe have one weird little scare, uh, and then they play in the playoff. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, yeah. they, and I mean, they, nobody's saying Clemson isn't good. It's just saying, like, they don't have anything to, like, stand in their way or make them actually work a little bit harder for that championship. Yeah. And I know some people could probably say say the same about, say, like, OU. But even OU, like, has a couple challenges. They always find one game to really fuck up. Well, I think so. at least the Big 12, like, usually at the beginning of the year, you might have a conversation of, like, there might be one clear winner, but there's always usually maybe another two teams that you're like, I could legitimately like see them as a favorite or like get their way to the top. And then you might have another group of teams that is not going to win the conference, but can always scare you. And the ACC at this point to me is even weaker than the Pac-12. It they just looks like they're just like, okay, Clemson's going to win, and no one pretty much is even going to give them a fighting shot. Like, it's, there's no one else we could conceivably see winning this conference this year. Yeah. Florida State melting down really didn't help it at all. Mm-mm. But yeah. I like I, I like that second option a lot better, though. Uh, yeah, this one is more logical. 
the other one was a fun <laughs> thought experiment. But uh, sure. of course, of course, I don't want to brush over our favorite conference. the The old Southwest Conference would be kind of re rebirthed. Um, <laughs> we'd have TCU, SMU, Texas Tech, Baylor, A and M, Arkansas, Texas, <laughs> Houston, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Tulsa, and LSU. So bringing OU back into era. Oh, he was in the Southwest, like, in the way beginnings. Yeah, the very okay. beginning. So this is kind of like an upgraded version of the old Southwest Conference. Was LSU we... in the original Southwest Conference? No, they weren't. So oh. this that would be an exciting addition. Um, and then, obviously, you're adding the Oklahoma schools in to, if you think of the old Southwest Conference was just, you know, seven Texas schools plus Arkansas. Um, of course, we don't really need rice in there at this point, uh, <laughs> unless we wanted their band. Cause their band's pretty funny, but the the mob band—they're pretty solid. You just can't really see like LSU in that sort of comfort. Like at this point, it's pretty ingrained in us. Like you want to see, you know, like an Alabama LSU matchup or something. That's the only tough part, I think, of that one. And, and to be fair, I think a lot of uh, OU fans feel a lot more, well, definitely a lot more connected to the Big Eight. Any realignment I goal for. Pretty much any OU fan, I think, is to get back with Nebraska. Everyone really <laughs> wants that Nebraska rivalry back uh, pretty bad. So I, I think... It's kind of like we want A&M back in the mix. Cowards. Yeah, I mean, I mean kind of, kind of. Our, our relationship with, with Nebraska is different, though, because we actually like them. Uh, nobody them. likes A&M. Nobody likes A&M. A&M's trash. A lot of a lot of OU fans don't really like the Texas schools. They kind of blame them for the Big Twelve blowing up, mainly Texas, because you know Texas. But um, I, I don't know. Southwest would be kind of fun. Uh, and I think Arkansas would slide pretty easily into that mix. I never really feel like Arkansas doesn't strike me as one of those like hardcore SEC schools. Arkansas is kind of like a mudblood of. You know, they're halfway between the SEC and the Southwest. The SEC mudblood. That's it's like Missouri. No, it's no, Missouri not. is is clearly still a Big Eight, Big Twelve team. One of my favorite parts of shout out to Anchor of Goal on SB Nation. One of my favorite parts of that Bandy blog Stop is that they continually refer to Mizzou as a Big Twelve school. They're like, why do we have this Big Twelve school on the calendar, and why does it count towards conference play? On that note, Wilson, can you redraw Colorado and Utah back out of the Pac-12? We don't want them in there anyways. They're not. They're in, they're in the Rocky Mountain Conference in this scenario. Oh, that'd be such a shitty conference, though. Well, <laughs> it's, it, it, the, it reaches up to, like, Washington. So Washington and Washington State are in there with Oregon and Oregon State. <laughs> that that doesn't make any got sense. Utah, BYU. Those, those Washington and Oregon schools are such true blood Pac-12. Like, the, that's weird. This okay, but you have a little hometown bias there, let's be honest. No, they've always the Washington, Oregon, California, and Arizona schools had those have always been Pac twelve or Pac ten, excuse me, since the beginning. Having a Rocky Mountain division would be like, Oh, here's BYU and Utah and Boise State and Colorado. Well this weird ass gerrymandered conference. Well I mean Here comes the Colorado State Rams. This is not nearly as gerrymandered State. as the way it is now. I mean, to be fair, the Big 12 has West Virginia in it. That makes no sense. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I'm okay with it. I think the best way to restore competitive balance is definitely in the playoff expansion. Let's just send Nebraska back to the Big 12, and we'll give them we'll give the Big 10 West Virginia whole, or something. The whole reason Nebraska left I'm was because okay they, they're mad at Texas. And 
Uh, Everybody's mad at Texas. Well, it also worked out horribly for them because then they lost Texas as a recruiting ground. And you, I mean, you can't you can't win off of uh, you know random Nebraska walk-ons. That's not. Oh, you knows more about corn fed, Texas Bobby. players than anybody. What's that? They're corn-fed, Bobby. Big old, <laughs> big old boys. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they produce a great offensive line every year. <laughs> OU knows more about using Texas players than anybody. Oh, there it is. There it is, everyone. I knew that was coming. <laughs> okay, yeah, well. <laughs> hey, Bobby, but I mean, on a serious note, bringing A&M back would be really fun. Hey, because we could, we could team up. We could, like, put our two rings together, like, pshh powers together to fight o- or A&M I just hate them just talking shit on A&M is always always fun always fun to bring up 77 to nothing uh, <laughs> which in the third quarter a thing that happened they, they're just they're the worst them and their little fake army which I like that what was it when it was like 70 to nothing and they have the defense of like pick six and then they're like and the announcers are just like Oh no! Like I've never seen anything like this. Oh no! Well, at, at one point we got the ball down to the one yard line, and essentially they they handed they would hand it off to our guy and he'd just fall over, and they stopped us on a fourth down because we weren't trying to score, and they start like celebrating like they did something. It's just the worst. Well, it, I this is a perfect transition into Wilson's story. Yes. So Wilson, uh, one of the main reasons we. We love having you on here. Is you are an avid historian, uh, and I I think it's time for uh, your little story time. So do you do you have anything good for us today? Yes, I do. So I'm gonna open by saying that um, I know lots of very fine people from A and M um, that I went to school with last year, and um, but at the end of the day, your school is uh, batshit crazy and. Um, a lot of your students, particularly the Corps of Cadets, um, always take things too far, and they have a long, long historical track record of doing so. So um, we have this really fun story here I found assembled on a couple of years ago, um, and I've got the the cliff notes here ready for me as I need them. But essentially, in 1917, you know, over a hundred years ago, A and M basketball beat Rice. 21 to 13, which tells you exactly what year this was and what the basketball was like. Oof. But it was the first oh. time A&M had beaten Rice in Houston in any sport in over three years. And so as the Aggie players you know, were celebrating, they realized that Rice just left their mascot, you know, out in the open, you know, for anyone to grab. And at the time, it was a 200-pound canvas bag filled with sawdust shaped like an owl and so naturally the corps of cadets decided that they were going to induct the owl into the corps of cadets name you know decide it was their general and then take the thing back to college station um you know via the train and uh they held on to the mascot for like quite a while and rice just decided you know We'll just make a new one <laughs> and deny that it was ever stolen in the first place. Well, you know, A&M Corps cadets posed for a picture with the mascot and, you know, took it to class and did all these things just to, like, rub it in their face. And They're just like, no, this is the same owl. <laughs> Clearly, it's the same owl. Yeah, and they, and they even said, they're like, we're going to bring him down to Houston for the parade prior to the next football game against you guys. Like, they were really rubbing it in. 
And so um, some guys from Rice said, you know, we got we have to get the mascot back so they can't do this. And they formed the Owl Protective Association. <laughs> and they hired a private detective to go to College Station and find the owl. So they go up there and they meet him. How do you and, know this? Yeah. They disguise themselves as, you know, members of the Corps of Cadets to sneak onto the campus. And they meet up with the detective and he can't find it. So... They, they go back disappointed to Houston and they decide, you know, we're not giving up and they hire a second detective whose nickname was Snowball. <laughs> that was his alias. Oh and uh, it's the only name we know him by. So Snowball goes up pretending that he's a newspaper reporter from Houston trying to get the story and he finds out that they're and he sends a message a telegram back to the Owl Protective Association, you know, but it has to be in code. And so he says, Sammy is fairly well and would like to see his parents at 11 o'clock. That was the message he sent back to Rice to let them know that he had that he had found where the mascot was located. And so Sammy is now the name of the owl mascot um, and has been ever since. Um, so it was coined from this story. And so essentially, <laughs> now that they know where he is, he's being held in the U.S. Armory on the a and campus, <laughs> which is the most secure place on the campus. <laughs> and so these guys drive up to a college station in the middle of the night. You know, they're getting chased around by the night watchmen, and they're trying to divert him. And, you know, eventually they get Sammy out, and they, they break down the, the door that he's hiding behind. And the night watchman fires a forty four into the air as they're leaving. To, you know to alert the campus that sammy that something has been stolen that sammy was stolen and these guys start you know doing donuts around the a&m campus to celebrate and honking their horns and in well, 1917 yeah <laughs> of course it's 1917 yeah. so once they get model a little t's bit away, doing donut once they get a little bit away from the campus the cars start to break down they have some engine trouble <laughs> Oh, no. Don't jalopies breaking down. <laughs> so they wheel them out into the woods in the middle of the night, and they thought the uh, the train between College Station and Houston had left prior to their arrival. Well, it didn't, and it's full of Aggie students and alums who all see them. And so <laughs> the chase is on. Everyone knows that these Rice students stole the owl back, and so these guys are running around in the woods. And meanwhile, 800 members of the Corps of Cadets you know, have strung themselves out everywhere between Bryan and Navasota, you know, and declared martial law in all these little Texas towns around College Station, stopping every automobile in sight and checking to see if they're Rice students with Sammy the Owl. <laughs> Is there a giant bag of sawdust in here? Or sand or whatever? <laughs> and it's so absurd. And eventually the OPA members, you know, learn that... Um, you know, it's gotten this intense, and they decide to they empty out the 200 pounds of sawdust, you know, and drench it in gasoline and light it on fire, and they save, like, the head of the owl mascot, and I think some of the outer canvas covering. Um, and these guys are just running around in the woods, and they're in Navasota, and a bunch of hunters, like, run into them, and they're like, oh, so you guys are the reason they, did, they put us into martial law? <laughs> And decide to help them because they're like, this is ridiculous. Like these college kids are just absurd. They think they're the army. Um, nothing has changed in a hundred years. They still think they're basically a paramilitary group. Um, and you know these these guys, you know they they 
take the rice students and they I, they stay with a doctor in navasota um and eventually he gets them on a train to houston like in the middle of the night or something like that um and there were but during the course of this whole thing 13 of the members of the owl protective association were captured and the aggies continued to imprison them in college station until rice president edgar odo lovett petitioned a&m's president president for their safe return <laughs> so wait hold on their president knew about this and was just like eh, cool just keep him here he, he may or may not have known i mean granted he had to know something 800 core cadet members just don't declare martial law without you knowing about it i think they just <laughs> didn't go with any approval but um, probably gets around so and then snowball the private investigator was also captured apparently and he wasn't so lucky he was paraded around campus giving a regulation army haircut turned over to the freshman for a few days (laughs) taken to the train station late in the night without his clothes and told to catch a train oh my god my only takeaway is when it's 1917 and your car only does a max of 20 miles an hour and it probably has like wooden wheels and stuff don't do sh- donuts and parade around in it. Oh man, that I mean, that, you gotta be you gotta if you're you're going on a sneaky covert operation, why are you just like doing donuts? That makes no sense. And two things well, strike it, me: it was that, more like a college story. prank that went got out of hand because of the core cadets. I mean, he's stealing oh, well, a mascot back things. from another college. That's classic college hijinks. But you know, when you declare martial law. <laughs> In the college station greater area it's a little the story is so 1917 and the story is so a&m that those are my two takeaways yeah it it it's really the perfect a&m story them be taking taking everything too serious and them thinking they're more important than they are well and also their outrages about stolen property that they themselves had stolen it's just and locking it in an armory well <laughs> That's that's something else. Well, let's kind of... If there's anything else you'll want to talk about there, uh, I don't know. Any any final takes on the uh, Stolen Owl story? I think we're... No, that's just why we brought Wilson on for more a- history. A&M, please clean it up. Stop drawing swords on Peruna, or Peruna the SMU pony, and other things like that. You know, it needs to stop. <laughs> The, the SMU pony once murdered Colorado State's uh, mascot by kicking it in the head. I knew this would be a problem when both of you were on here at the same time. Yeah, no, weird shit happens. That, Just that, deep dives repeatedly. That pony is a menace to society. It uh, it poops everywhere. It attacks things because it's very, very... Sounds like pony. another mascot that's very near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, Bevo almost pulled that maneuver at the Sugar Bowl. No, no, he had met he had met Ugga the day before. They were just buddies, and he just got a little too... He's a little pup. Bevo's just a little pupper. He just wanted to jump out of the cage and say hi. He's like a 400-pound pup. 1,500-pound pupper. Yeah. He's just a large boy. It's okay. He's still young. He just And they had met the day before, and they had a photo op, and everything was fine. He just he knew him. He saw him. He was like, that's my friend Aga. I'm going to jump out of this barricade and whack a lady in the head with my horn. My theory is his evolutionary instincts kicked in that said, this is basically a wolf. I'm going to attack it before it gets me. 
Bevo would win that fight against Ugga 10 out of 10 times. Yeah, because Ugga's large. They probably just hadn't given it its uh, tranquilizer yet. So That's that's a lie yeah. that doesn't happen. Sure, that does sure, not happen. Sure. It's pretty docile. Yeah, sure, sure. All right, let's move on to our final topic of the evening. Uh, expansion teams. So all of us live in, in places that don't have full sets of major league teams. Oklahoma only has one. Uh, you know, Nashville... How'd you get that one? I'm curious. How did you get that one? Hmm. Yeah, through the legal buying of assets. And... Um, how about your owners who bought it and said they would keep it in Seattle, but then emailed each other back and forth saying how everyone was a bunch of idiots and they were so excited? Hmm. Well, I mean... And they purposely proposed an arena idea that they know they knew Seattle and the greater area wouldn't accept, and then as soon as it fell through, they had an immediate escape to go to Oklahoma City? Sir, it was a good faith effort. I'm sorry you didn't win our $5 million arena in uh, a really crappy intersection. But you know what? You know It's you, not a crappy intersection. Sense. It's just not a suitable area for the arena, okay? okay. That's it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it's like tried. a neighborhood. <laughs> just, we, we tried. We tried. But anyways, if you could have an expansion team for any of the four, what would you do? So uh, I'll, let, I'll let Stein start on this one. What... <laughs> What, what team would you want? What, you have two spots. The, it's the only team left that we need. We got hockey, so it's just basketball. Well, so let's let's just say that hockey isn't a thing. Like, you, you choose hockey or basketball. I'm just going to say basketball just for the strict reason that we already have a history with it. I mean, there is a C- Seattle Metropolitans 103 years ago who won, but who were wearing those Christmas color weird uniforms. Um... But I would say basketball, and I would I would say it'd be really cool if you brought it back and you just like made everything the exact same. Like you just pretended it it was just an all of super nightmare having Oklahoma City. You bring a team and you just call it the Seattle SuperSonics, and you're just like, oh, that's weird. Green and yellow uniforms are just all the same. Yeah, yeah. you don't Never even happened. renovate Key Arena. You just leave it the same. You know. No, no, no. <laughs> this is on the assumption we re-renovated Key Arena, which is already in progress. It's gonna be ready fall 2021. Somehow by didn't somehow by, didn't ask that from you, Nashville. Some, somehow by fall twenty thirty, it's going to be like a dump. I don't know. Anyway, no, it's just a traffic disaster where the arena is. Yeah. E- either way, if, if if an NBA team came back to Seattle, it'd have to be the SuperSonics. I know that a part of the deal when we uh, legally left the ci- uh, the city and moved them. Not here, exactly, but, well, go, but legally, go ahead. legally, not. A- well, we had, there was a lawsuit. You found the quickest excuse to leave. You made made sure it was going to break through, and then you left. Sir, sir so. there was a lawsuit, and uh, well, technically we didn't win, but your, your, your <laughs> well, no, your bitch ass mayor uh, accepted our settlement. Yeah, the only floor. thing the only thing I've learned from reading that Oklahoma book is just that Oklahoma City has. The reason it is where it is today is just strictly through very strong leadership and people willing stuff to succeed, even though Oklahoma City is a total dump. Okay. And it's it's literally just because you guys had really strong people in charge, like that uh, Draper guy who was just like, I'm going to organize your whole city. I don't care what anybody says. We're moving forward. We're going to be such a great city. And like willing people to move there, even though it's a piece of crap city, versus Seattle always has a lot of beta people in charge and weak leadership. And hence why we got duped. So that's all I have to say. I'm, I don't know. I'm just excited for the playoffs. So we'll call that good. Wilson, uh, <laughs> your turn. Yeah, so this is a hard one for me. So um, for those of you listening that don't know me, I'm a Nashville native. Uh, support the Tennessee Titans, Nashville Preds. 
Um, we you. just got an MLS team that started in this cursed season of sports, uh, the Nashville SC uh, MLS team. Uh, they played like two to three games before coronavirus canceled MLS so far. So um, really the two sports that are up for grabs for us are basketball and baseball. Um, and I had a hard time thinking about this, like which one I would rather have. Um, I think ultimately I think I would probably rather have baseball only because the Memphis Grizzlies are just down the road from Nashville. If it wasn't so close or if you were to relocate Memphis Grizzlies to Nashville, which would start a whole new level of hatred between these two cities. <laughs> um, you know, it would make more sense to get a basketball team just because the NBA is, you know, a bigger product drives a lot more foot traffic, drives a lot more revenue, a lot more interest, a lot more national media attention. Um, there's a lot of other reasons to choose NBA over baseball, but I mean, we talked this earlier in our MLB section that um, there's something about going to a baseball game in person. I think that's a valuable experience. The ticket prices are cheap, even if the concessions always aren't always as cheap. Um, and it's I think it's an in-game experience that's unique from other sports um, that I really appreciate. Um, we have a very good minor league team here in terms of experience, not so, not necessarily on-field play. Shout, shout um, out to the Sounds. Yeah, the Nashville Sounds, fantastic. Um, they have a brand new or relatively new stadium for Tennessee Park that has a downtown view of Nashville. Um, so super fun to go to their games. Um, so, But you wouldn't really be able to build a, a, an MLB caliber stadium where they're located because the neighborhood is just isn't big enough for, it, for the traffic. Um, but there is a group that's been proposing... Um, trying to get an MLB team to Nashville um, as unlikely as that seems because it doesn't seem like the league is keen on expansion but um, they want to call it the Nashville Stars and put it they released a plan for a stadium kind of on the same side as the Cumberland River adjacent to Nissan Stadium Um, I think the spot where they had it picked out is I think basically right now from what I know it's a city dump or something like that so it's basically free real estate um, and the name Nashville Stars would be an homage to uh, one of the Negro Baseball League teams that used to play in Nashville. Um, and I think they're working with uh, the Negro League Baseball Museum. Um, you know, they're part of the the consulting for this group in terms of bringing this team to life and the branding and the naming and all that stuff. So I thought that was a really cool concept. Um if you weren't to go that way, I think it would be really neat to have a team called the Nashville Knights. Um, kind of a, a play on words there. You know, the nightlife in Nashville is very famous for our bachelorette parties and, you know, all the super pop country annoying songs that come out of my great town. Um, and kind of, you know, of course, it'd be knights like, you know, yeah, medieval yeah, knights we, or we, something like that. We, we sure. get the alliteration, yeah. Or the Night Riders, or something like that. Um, I think the problem that Vegas ran into is that there's already a London Knights OHL team, and that were, therefore they had to be Golden Knights. They had to have an adjective. As far as I know, there's not any conflict in baseball, so that would be my proposal. Is probably MLB. Yeah, that that makes sense. And again, you know, having Memphis right there, I don't think it just. I don't think it justifies having those two right next to each other. And also Memphis, 
already struggles with attendance, so don't have put the state in half. Uh, well, I have a wide variety of options here, as Oklahoma only has one nice little fun basketball team that was legally acquired. Um, I... I, I think football is an interesting op- uh, it's interesting but I don't know if it would work because one you have the Dallas Cowboys you know one of the most famous successful franchises down the street um, so if that combined with OU and OSU I don't know if it would be as successful so I think I'd probably have to go with baseball just in the sense that um, just in the sense that it's a different time frame than basketball you did hockey they'd be overlapping probably probably too much at the same time but baseball really fills a dead spot um while not a lot of people go to the oklahoma city dodger games uh i think people just care about having something important to root for uh you could literally tell them that water polo is like we're major league water polo and people would probably be interested because they would have some state pride in it uh but I'm going to go with baseball. I, I agree with you that about that aspect. Um, it's 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 fun watching Dodger games, but you know what? Uh, those three dollar uh, coops on Thursday would be a lot more fun with major league players. So, yeah, I think for Oklahoma, that's the one that makes sense as of right now. It's probably baseball. Yeah, because football, like along with the Cowboys, like y'all of the Sooners, that like literally encompasses everything Oklahoma, right? I mean, you have that, you have the Cowboys is an option that's not super far. You have basketball. Hockey's a little bit of a weird fit for me, I think. So that just leaves baseball. And I think that kind of fits in with the culture there pretty well, it seems like. And there's that dead spot like you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, What what would you name this theoretical Oklahoma baseball team? Oh, the theoretical Oklahoma baseball team. That's a tough land one. Thieves. The land thieves. <laughs> I like the, the the land thieves. The dirt burglars. Uh, well, if, if you look at our history, we have kind of we have two really boring names. So, our first minor league team was called the Eighty Niners, uh, which is um, a reference to the land. Run. We get it. We all get it. I don't know if Wilson gets it. And then we had the Red Hawks, which is just a boring name. Uh, I don't know. I think you'd do it. What are those? What are those prairie chickens? Are they just called prairie chickens? Prairie chickens? I mean, that'd be those weird bird things that are only in Oklahoma or whatever. Are you talking about the scissor tail flycatchers? No, I think they're literally called prairie chickens. I think they chickens. just are prairie chickens. We... Oh, that's not as interesting. I thought they had a cool name for a second. Actually, I, I figured it out. We steal Tulsa's minor league team name and call ourselves the uh, Oklahoma Drillers. That'd be cool. <laughs> Yeah, or, or you could be the Oilers, I guess, in a way. Oklahoma Oilers, even better. You know, alliteration. There you go. OKC Oilers. Ooh. Oklahoma Ooh. Dirt Pile. I don't know. Wow. Real, real the Dirt one. Bags. That'd be a baseball reference, but that's, <laughs> that's like Cal Long Beach or something. Yeah, we, we'd, be, we'd be stealing from Long Beach State. But um, anyway, yeah, after an hour and 22 minutes, Stein's insults have gone from really sharp and on point to Mud Pile or whatever. I don't know. No, you call. I don't think I said mud pile. You said that. I said no. I said I no. said dirt burglars. Yeah, a more nuanced no. <laughs> take. I said dirt pile. Yeah, dirt pile is not that good. We you gotta steal the dirt. The Oklahoma useless land ers. Wow, that's bad. I do think it would be fun if a Nashville team was like the Nashville Firebirds, and their emblem was just like a hot chicken. 
<laughs> that has to be, it was like it would be like a, like a subtle league. name but like the the logo and the branding would be like clearly this is a reference to hot chicken the, the, the that would only work in like minor league when everyone can just have ridiculous mascots yeah like that'd the, be like our nba g league team name name, name yourself what is there like the birmingham trash pandas or something like it's oh no the the rocket city trash pandas in madison alabama yeah. near the, huntsville the, yes the montgomery yes. biscuits the montgomery biscuits <laughs> a legendary a name yeah definitely legendary you could be the nashville spicy boys that could be solid i don't know Either way, the I... The Oklahoma Dust Bowl. Okay, well, that's just mean. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, just oh, dark. Oh. The Oklahoma Bongos. <laughs> oh, you, that that's a deep-cut reference to Boomtown. Operation Bongo. Um, let's wrap this pot up. This has been fun, but it's also an hour and a half long. So Deep cuts only on this. An hour and a half only, of quality content. Only the real ones get it. Uh, if you've gotten to this point, you now know how to fix sports. So congratulations. We have given you a gift. Nobody, they have nothing else to do, so might as well listen to an hour and a half. Exactly. Make us the sports czar. Czars. We'll be like a committee of sport. <laughs> bring in, oh, we should bring in, we should bring in Bowden Blake, and then there you go. We have the Fantastic Four of sports. <laughs> Just put it all together. So. Oh, God. Gonna go ahead and wrap this thing up. Wilson, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been a pleasure having you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's I've been dying to come on the pod for a little while now. Uh, I'm so glad we finally got to do this and set the the date and the time and all that good stuff. And glad you got to listen to my crazy ramblings about college football and stealing of university mascots. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely have you on again uh, sometime eh, soon. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I I vote yes. Chris, are you 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 yes vote? To be determined. We'll, we'll see how it, we'll see how it comes out in the post. So, anyways, Chris, anything you want to say before we uh, head out of here? No, I'm good. It's just good to be back again after a, a long hiatus. We should get back to our re- regular scheduling as stuff is starting to open back up again. Yeah. I- oh, also this weekend, bars are back in a big way. I will be out and about on Saturday night. It's gonna be great. There you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. And D- next week, Bobby's going to join me. Darty season maybe. for me. Maybe, maybe. You never know. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely patio season in OKC. You know, it's been they've been rolling for a bit. So, <laughs> I'm sure Oklahoma just pretended it never. Corona was never there. Oh, up at Grand Lake in Northeast Oklahoma, they just did not like do. Anything. That's what did I tell you guys? So I was just in Coeur d'Alene, and I mean, I don't even think they had any cases in their county. So they like, you know, we went to like a sporting goods store and like. Nobody had masks, and everyone was close in the aisles, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is what life was like. I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone just doesn't even – it's like it was never here. It's like nothing ever happened. But anyways. Because it's Idaho. Well, let's, yeah. let's wrap this thing up. So <laughs> let's just get this out. So for me, Stein and Wilson, this has been Rival Talk. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we'll have more content coming for you as everything develops. And, yeah, so – Anyways, we'll see you next time. Chopping heads, boy. It ain't safe no more. Peace.